Good evening, everybody. I hope everybody's had a fantastic week. It was my birthday today. I am still 40-ish. Um, we're um, gearing up. Our tea starts in, for me in about two hours, and for everybody else in like in Australia and stuff, it's already started. Um, I think it's three hours for the East Coast, um, West Coast for the West Coast. Uh, but um, uh, please don't put pictures of pornography in the chat while I'm talking because it will totally blow my ability to concentrate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that I don't appreciate porn, because I do. Anyway, um, let's, uh, you know, as we're gearing up for uh, for rough trade, um, I, I've 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 plotted a bunch of times, and I've um, four hours on the west coast. I've been I've been corrected. Time zones aren't my thing, and daylight savings time does not help. I just put that out there. Um. Anyways, uh. <laughs> um, before I got on the podcast, I was talking to my mom, and she ran me up like five minutes before the podcast started. She's still chatting. I was like, I gotta go, mama. I got stuff to do. And she's like, well, and hung up on me. So that's good. But I haven't eaten, so I'm, I'm eating too. So you guys, you just have to deal with it because it's my birthday. So you got to put up with extra stuff on my birthday. Um, anyways, uh, I, um, I have actually, um, even though I don't have it on my nano profile, this will be my, I think I've been doing nano since I was in my early 20s. So I've done nano for two decades, which is wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, like two decades. When did nano start? The very first nano took place in July of 1999. So yeah, I mean, I think I think my first one was in um I want to say 2001 or 2002 maybe. I think, um, that was extra special as that, that, wow. Um, I don't remember when the first national challenge was. I know the 99 challenge was just a, like a local thing. But I remember, I don't think I did the first national challenge, but I did the second national challenge. I don't remember. All I do know is I didn't have an account on the website until 
Um, I actually have three accounts on um, the Nano site, uh, one for Kara and one for two different pen. Well, one for my real name, which I never use, and then one for um, my, my pen names, my, my professional names, my pseudonyms. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, so this is, I probably, this is probably my 16th year maybe doing 16 years, I think, probably. So almost, yeah, a decade and a half, a little over. Um, so it's really interesting, and um, we're going to talk about tonight about uh, what, what we've learned from challenges. And um, uh, for me, I, I've, I've learned a lot about myself in the nano challenge itself, but I learned a hell of a lot more about myself as a writer after I started Rough Trade. Um, it's just, it's it's craziness. Um but I'm gonna let Julie talk for a little bit about her first rough trade and what she learned, so I can have a little bit, a little bit of my pizza. Pizza? Did okay, you say food, food teas? Food teas? Really? I'm sorry, I but I haven't. Gonna... I, I, this is my dinner. I forgot. I forgot to yeah, eat. Yeah, go eat, woman. Go eat. Okay. Um, okay. <clears throat> Well, my first, my first, I think I signed up for a nano account because I'd heard of it before I ever did Rough Trade, but I had never participated in a like really done the nano challenge. I tried tried it, but I don't know. I wasn't comfortable like going to do write-ins and stuff. And I do think that it helps a lot to have some kind of community around doing a novel writing challenge like that. Um, where you have people to talk to a, a group, just some kind of some kind of support structure to kind of help keep you going. I know a lot of people do this kind of stuff alone, but more often not the reason why they do the write-ins and they have the the virtual write-ins and they have the chat rooms and stuff and in the summer they do the cabins is because it helps. Um, and then I stumbled on Rough Trade, and um, I don't know you. If you'd asked me before Rough Trade, do you think that posting your rough draft live, um, like you know, you write and you throw it up there, do you think that would make it nano easier or harder? I would have said harder. Um, harder in terms of the actual completion of it. Um, but it actually, I think it was in a lot of ways easier because. Um, even though it was all virtual, we weren't all sitting down in a coffee shop together. It was, um, we were all doing it together. We were all like, you know, get, you know, it does feel like writing naked, just like being naked, like exposing yourself. And we were all exposed together. Um, and I went, I mean, I had a knee injury that first nano, so I was a little bit stuck at home and a little bit, um, a little bit tied to my computer for entertainment uh, because I lived on the second floor and I had, you know, <laughs> getting up and down the stairs wasn't easy. And so I just, I was spending most of my day writing. Um, not writing, but there was also like figuring out what I was going to do next. And because I really didn't do a lot of prep um, for that nano because I would have, I'd have talked myself out of it because it was such an unfamiliar thing to do. The whole idea of, um, 
this website, which I what, – what did they have, like 5,000, 6,000 members or something back then? I don't remember how big it was, but I was like, 6,000 people are, and potentially more, because I don't think the site was locked down then. I think she locked it down the next year, and then you had to be – for a while, you had to be a member to read. Um, and now you have to be a member to comment. But I think it was just open – it was open for everybody to read back then. So, But just members – there was to me, it was like this huge community that could be reading this and um, – there was also this sense of solidarity because there were all these other people, and I, I don't think that I mean I don't remember how big that first that first record I did was, but it felt like there were a lot of people doing this with me, um, you know, putting it out there and sitting down every day to write and just knowing that we were all going through it together, all part of the same community, just made it easier to to keep getting up every day and putting it out there. Um, it was it was funny because I, I put that nano, I'm not usually someone who put everything off to the last minute. I prefer to get stuff around my writing done, typically try to get done earlier. I hate having, you know, when I do a challenge and my draft, my, my like rough draft is coming in barely on time, it drives me crazy. I don't like it because I don't like not having time to ponder things. But that first nano was so different for me. It was just a different experience because I was putting every single thing off to the last second. I put off signing up to the last second. I put off doing my art to the last second. Um, I put off, you know, posting my, I guess, I guess it was a project file 2013, yeah. So uh, here's the 34 participants um, that year. Which we've had, we've had as much as close to 80, I think, participants in some challenges. But 30 writing, sitting to write with 30 people. I was like, wow, I'm gonna sit down and write with 30 some odd people. And there was a lot of posting going on, um, and I wasn't, I didn't have a whole lot of time to read, but I did read a lot after the, I got done writing that month. Um, but my pace was a little over 5,000 words a day that first nano. Now I've. I've definitely had slower paces in many challenges. I think that was the most, that first nano was the most brutal pace I ever had. Um, I have had nanos where I uh, did write some days more than that. Um, I've had nanos where I, you know, turned in 100, 120,000 words in, in the in the actual challenge month. Um, but I think... My my average per day just for the month of November was 5,000 words. And since there were a couple of days around Thanksgiving where I didn't post, my average per day was a little bit over. And because I had a little bit more than 150,000 words by the end of the month, um, did another 30,000 in December. So but I, I've never set a writing pace for myself quite that grueling. And it wasn't that that was my intention. I didn't sit down and go, oh, that's what I'm going to do. But I found out something about myself that I um, had never experienced before, which was that the, the company and energy of other writers, um, it energized me. It, it just, it kind of sparked something and I just, I just fell into it. And it was, it was really freeing to do that and to take that risk and put it out there like that. Um, yeah, and that that was an emergence. That was my first rough trade. Um, and the funny thing is, I think because that was my first story, people 
a lot of people assumed I had a real love affair with dragons. I like dragons fine, but um, I don't particularly like them any, any better or worse than any other mythological creatures. So um, that it, it did kind of set a precedent, though, that people think that I have a, a major fondness for dragons. But, you know, I figure if I'm going to do a shifter story, I'm going to go big or go home. So, um, And what's bigger than a dragon? So, uh, but it wasn't, I, I just, what I learned about myself in that was that I do better as a writer when I am part of a community. Um, I hadn't known that about myself before. Um, writing was always something that I did mostly by myself. I mean, I've worked with co-writers on occasion, um, but I'd never written, like, I'd done like some challenges like way back in the past, but that was more of a turn it in and you're done kind of thing. And there's just no, um, in that challenge, I discovered that, um, (laughs) um, I'll mention that in a minute, but it, I discovered that, that there's something very freeing and energizing and it inspired my creativity about being part of this group. Uh, hosting together, taking that risk together, seeing that other people were working every day on this. It wasn't just you in a bubble. So that was, I think, like the most informative thing that I hadn't known how much I needed a community of writers in my life. Other people who shared my passion, who shared my interests, who spoke the same language, who had the same issues, who all worked together and supported each other to strive to just be better and get through the rough times. So I think that was one of the things I learned about myself and about my writing in that first, very first challenge. And I kind of got addicted. Um, Not so much to challenge, really. It it wasn't even that. It was just that whole experience of, of feeling like, you know, those moments leading up to nano where it's like everybody is preparing and you start to feel the energy rising and it's like and if you were, if I was doing it alone, I don't think it would be quite as I would like to think now that I would still do it cuz I do plenty. I mean, I even back I mean, I wrote I wrote plenty before that first nano and I still write lots between challenges. So it's not even about the writing, but it's that experience of of doing something with your community, of having other creative people who are in lockstep with you and you're all going for it and you're all taking the same risk and putting it out there and exploring something you love. So um, (laughs) Ellie says that uh, uh, you know someone is a real friend because they don't read fanfic, but they get you an electric corkscrew so you don't have to slow down your writing to open the bottle of wine. That is a good friend. You know, great friends are the ones also, it's in that theme, that vein, who don't understand the whole allure of fanfic but support you anyway. They're like, yeah, I'm going to support you. You go write that novel this month. It doesn't matter what, because it doesn't matter, it, it doesn't and it shouldn't matter that your passion is fanfiction. And that was one of the issues I had, I have to say, with some of the nano experience I had before looking into it, was I wanted to write fan fiction. And it was, there seemed to be a lot of judgy 
about writing fan fiction. I don't seem to, I don't recall fan fiction even being a, a genre listed in Nano for a long time. Um, so, I think there was a lot of that kind of. Um, it was like it was. It was like it was amplifying or validating that judgment you get from people in your life. Are like, oh, you're writing. Oh, you're writing fan fiction. It's like it goes from being a positive thing that they see that you're doing to being a why are you wasting your time? And that was always really demoralizing. So to have this experience with people who were mostly writing fan fiction, I don't remember if there was anybody doing original fiction that first. I knew the site supported people doing original fiction at that time. I know there's specifically Rough Trade had an original fiction challenge, um, and Kira phased that out. Um, mostly because people are assholes. You know, if the world would stop being assholes, everything would be better. So, I think there was. Um, I don't. Like I said I don't recall original fiction that time. So it was mostly fan fiction or all fan fiction in that first challenge. And it was like everybody's doing nano, and we're all doing it together. And everybody is, even though we don't, use, you know, have the same fandoms, we are all jazzed about fan fiction. And I had never had like a fan fiction writing community before. There was writing fan fiction, and there was writing communities, and those two things had never gone together. So it just. Here says there were nine original people working on original fan fiction in that for in that 2013. And I think original has phased out a lot. Some people still do it, and I really admire people who get up there and do original fiction because it, it there's some risk attached to original fiction um, that we don't have with fan fiction in terms of well you know publishable because you've posted it or um, people if you do publish it people being obnoxious and you know but oh I read this on rough trade and kind of making a big deal but I missed a couple comments so I'm scrolling back up but one of the things I also it was interesting one of the things I learned that month was that I can I have I have a perfectionism and a consistency aspect to my OCD and so I'll get a notion of what being consistent means or what perfection looks like in terms of consistency and then really struggle to uh, hit that. And so for me, it was post that first, that first nano, I was setting this pace and I didn't want to post incomplete chapters. And I felt like I needed to post every day, even though that wasn't one of the rules. It was like this rule I'd set for myself. And I had to have like a little bit of a come to Jesus meeting with myself after that first nano, because like I said, that first nano for me, the pace was brutal. And it, it wasn't that I couldn't have stopped or that I like I had to do it, except I kind of was putting that on myself. I got to keep writing and posting every day. Um, and I can definitely write, you know, 150,000 words in a month. That isn't even the issue. It's just I had put this expectation on myself that I couldn't slow down if I wanted to. Um, and then I felt really funky about, like, the day I missed. Like, I think I did post on Thanksgiving, but I don't think I posted the day after. And um, that missed day just really bothered me. And I had to figure out how to deal with that because I was like, I cannot go into another challenge feeling like I'm putting more expectations on myself than the challenge is putting on me. So 
Um, sorry about that, you guys. I just really had to eat because <laughs> I got silly. When you have diabetes, you don't eat. You don't eat. You get foolish. Because <laughs> I had that happen once in a podcast. Yeah, it did. I did phase out original fiction, and I actively discourage it on Rough Trade. Because I did get flack, people commenting on my original work on Amazon, how they read it on Rough Trade. And I'm like, how fucking rude of you. And also someone bitching because they had to buy it after they read half of it on Rough Trade. Um, or whatever, or saying it wasn't substantially different from what was on Rough Trade when it wasn't even finished on Rough Trade. But whatever. Um, and it, it made me um, protective of the other participants on Rough Trade, which is why I don't encourage you to write original fiction on Rough Trade. Um, you can, and I will do all I can to stand on that wall for you just like I do everybody else, but I can't get on Amazon and bitch me. Well, I, I could, <laughs> but I won't. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, that the shit that you find, um, Yeah, and I, I was actually so deeply offended. I read Kira's reviews, and I saw those references to rough trade. And, oh, I read this for free, and it really pisses me off that I had to pay to finally find out what happened. And I'm like, wow, wow. Both asshole. the assholery and the entitlement are off the charts here. So, so I had, so fucking annoying. I so. I so enjoyed that first rough trade and my second rough trade that even that even thinking I was thinking that July was going to be an original fiction challenge and I really didn't want to write original fiction, you know, live like that. Um, but then she changed the, the, what what the summer was and I was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> it's not going to be original <laughs> fiction. I I can be naked, but I don't want to be that naked. Yeah, I, summer is about uh, short stories now, which I think is I, I talked about it before how it being it's just really a lost art form, and so I'm trying to um, actively encourage um, people to to dig in on the short story format and own it. Get in and do it. But yeah, I do actively discourage rough, um, original fiction on Rough Trade. That does not mean that you cannot do it in in challenges where your idea would would fit. It doesn't. But if I have readers that would mistreat me like that in a professional market, then so do you. These aren't people who didn't know who I was before I hit Amazon. These are people who are in our community right now, who are on Rough Trade, who read my site, who've probably been in fandom for a long time with me. 
But it wasn't like some asshole I don't know that I never participated, you know, I, I never had any interaction with. This is probably someone who was in Minion headquarters, who was, who, who was in my space, abusing me in a professional market. Yeah. It wasn't some <clears throat> asshole who had no idea what rough trade was. They wouldn't have been known to use it, right? So it had to be somebody who's in our space who did it. And, uh, but granted, there are 13,000 members in rough trade. Um, but that butthole who, who did that to me on Amazon is, is one of them. <clears throat> it feels like a, it's like a betrayal of like an unspoken code of conduct is, you know, I just, I, I you just don't fuck with a writer's professional life, you know, a fan fiction writer's professional life. I just think that's like. It shouldn't even it shouldn't even need to be said, and to go out and bitch about yeah you know it's a good story blah 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 but I'm really annoyed that I had to pay for this I was like wow wow okay well fuck you and that actually was when I made the decision when I saw those reviews for fall um fall for you was that I was like I will never write um, original fiction that I post. Um, in challenge, in a live challenge like this where you're posting your rough draft. I would never do it. I, you know, might have... I mean, I can't imagine if I finished an original fiction story that I wouldn't try to submit it for publication somewhere rather than... I know... I've talked to some writers who get to finish a story and they cannot hold on to it. It's like they are desperate to get some kind of feedback on it, so they go and they post it online somewhere. Um I just would never do that personally. Um, even if it was turned down by every publisher I submitted it to, I wouldn't just post it out of, online out of desperation because you could screw up your ability to ever publish that story. Ever. If you publish you it online, you are away. exhausting your first print rights. Um, and some publishers will not look at something if they don't have the ability to um, purchase first print rights. You gave it away for free, which it's not like you had it with one publisher and then you moved to another publisher and they picked up your rights and printed all of your old stuff again. You gave your story away for free. You've exhausted your audience. Oh. Yeah, um, and it's going to be out there. And a ver- uh, you, even if you take it offline, there are going to be copies that were legitimately obtained for free, and. Um, you know, you couldn't even, you couldn't even get people on piracy <laughs> because you gave it away. So, um, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't personally do it. So, I don't think I would write under Jilly James, um, but I would still let you guys know what my pen name would be. I do have, I do, I've already picked a pen name, and I, I have several projects in process. Um, but I will let you guys. It's very similar, but I will let you guys know. Um, what that is and, and where. So, um, I did consider an alternate pen name. But here's something. I actually invest a lot of time in Kara. Um, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I don't have enough energy to invest in another pseudonym. I was like, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that in me. <laughs> I, I've reached my limit. <laughs> I already answered several names that are not my own in public. I don't need to add another one. 
<laughs> well, I think I think the reason why it doesn't. I mean, Jilly's kind of stuck now, you know, um, which is yeah. fine. I, I'm not changing my name. I mean, it's there. It's like there's like it's like this is almost like an alternate identity. But it wasn't what I intended when I picked the name. So, um, I couldn't get people to stop calling me Jill, and it was driving me batshit uh, in this community, this fan fiction community I was part of. Um, and so one person just started calling me Jilly, and I don't know why that didn't bother me when Jill was making me crazy. I'm like, quit calling me Jill. Because so, Jill's that bitch you asked to speak to a manager in the restaurant. <laughs> that's, that does sound that way, doesn't it? Um, so Jilly kind of stuck, but it wasn't the pen name I had chosen. So it, it feels like it's like a, um, I don't know. It, it just it was never the name I had intended to write under. So it was just kind of bizarre that that's the direction that went. Although there was this funny thing. Um, um, when I was picking um, my pen name at that time, because I needed a new one, um, and I was coming out of the exile fandom. I was thinking about pick, you know, I had, was debating between two actresses I really admired um, to use their, their, you know, use their first name. Um, and one was Jillian Anderson, although I prefer the J spelling to the G spelling. Um, and the other um, was Kira Sedgwick. And it was kind of a toss up which way I was going to go. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I was like, for a long time, I was like, well, Jillian or Kira, Jillian or Kira. <laughs> so I almost went with a with a with a Kira, which would have been a little bit strange. <laughs> it would have been very strange. But I do like that spelling. I uh I didn't pick it, um, because of Kira Knightley. I'm 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 a big fan of both Kiras. Um, but I like the spelling of Kira Knightley better. So Yeah, I do too. Because the other one sometimes seems like Kyra. If I hadn't yeah. really pronounced, I'd have thought it was Kyra. So. But um, I um, yeah. So what I did is for the for the for the for the professional pen name, I would it, it would be JJ. It would, it, I'm, I would just you know condense the initials because um, for a long time I tried to persuade all the people calling me Jill to just call me JJ, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was <laughs> Jilly. So. Um, <laughs> It's like her marauder name. You'll get to pick it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was trying. I was trying. I was like, could you just call me JJ or something? Because I cannot deal with Jill. If you cannot deal with, I mean, I guess when you have a longer name that sounds, and I should have thought of that. When you have a longer name that sounds more formal, people do try to give you a diminutive. And they just went to Jill, <laughs> which I had should have considered that ahead of time because I really cannot stand to be called Jill. So, um, yeah, it was just a whole weird thing that um, I went through with with my sort but of. I have answers to Kira in public. Um, there's there's actually a couple little girls it who um, who are I guess probably in my neighborhood because we always end up in the grocery store at the same time. Um, who who are named Kira and um, when when they're when one of them is getting yelled at. I, I feel like I need to like behave too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll mind. Well, if somebody called out <laughs> Jilly in public, I would turn around. That actually kind of destroys right? me. Yeah. 
the multiple name things has never really been an issue because I've been, I mean, for a while, when I was, like, working, going, doing my most work in the exile fandom, I, um, I was always called by my last name at work. Uh, for some reason, people never called me by my first name. My family called me by my first name. Um, in the BDSM community, I went by my middle name. And then I had a pen name. So I was routinely being called by four different things. So having, you know, I just generally assume people were talking to me all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, they're speaking to somebody. Right. He must be speaking to me. Oh, wait, wait, no, that wasn't one of my names. Okay, you can go. <laughs> you can go. Bye. See you, bye. But anyway, Nano, I I always, you know, how do I put this? I mean, I think I found the writer in me um, when I was fairly young, uh, and the type of writer I would be was pretty set long, long time ago. Um, we're talking multiple decades ago. <laughs> but I feel like... Um, I think I feel this is going to make sound, but I think I found the real joy of in writing um, when I first started doing Rough Trade, and I totally blame Kira for that. Oh well, thank uh, you. Because it's not writing can be. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, you read, you read enough author stories, and the whole tortured writer thing. Is a thing, yeah. There's a lot of writers who really have that whole angst. You know, I have to tell this story, kind of thing going on. And I, I didn't. I never wanted my writing to be that painful. You know, I mean, sometimes it is. I never wanted it to be like a, a like something that was like, um, tormented out of me, uh, for for lack of a better way to phrase it. So finding that that being part of a community and um and that the the working with other writers and and helping others and that kind of thing made writing more joyful for me was like the best gift ever and that's what i discovered about myself when i did my first rough trade that probably saved my sanity a little bit since i was stuck in the house um <laughs> right broken and immobile is a terrible place to be Am I still there? I thought I unplugged myself. Okay. You're going to unplug yourself? I thought I unplugged myself. I was like, unplugging yourself really isn't gold. I don't know why. I thought it would be a good idea the first time I did nano. That way, the, the whole naked thing, I was like... Because it's so anti-fandom to post your rough draft. It's so against what your what fandom tries to to push on you. Like I can't tell you how many times I was told to get a beta before I got a beta. Um. Ungrateful people. 
uh, pushing you to do more work for their entertainment for free. Yeah. Right. So, so rough trade. It's actually it's it's really in a lot of ways anti fandom because I mean not it, it, not that we the content but the principle of of rough trade and you know to to write and post your rough draft and move on, you know set it and forget it. It's like an infomercial. Um, it's it's really uh, totally against what I was hearing constantly as I entered fandom um, online for the first time. And um, I think probably some people still find it off-putting. Even though this is basically, we get our first um, Naked Nano in November of 2011. So this is our eighth year, right? This is our eighth year. Um doing this it's our eighth year anniversary but uh i i people still kind of find it they avoid it you know I, we, we get a lot of traffic yes but i have readers who are on my site who won't go near rough trade who um and i know they haven't read on rough trade because they're so excited to get a story that i put on rough trade and i'm like bitch did you read this a year ago when i put on rough trade apparently not <laughs> If you've been reading Rough Trade, you got that story a long time ago. <laughs> well, I think there are. I mean, I've had some people express because they can't deal with the the typo that just drives them crazy. They're too much of a perfectionist to read that kind of thing. And I understand. I have. I understand to a, to a point. I have some hard stops. Like um, someone recommended a story to the other day, and I opened it up, and there were all this, these comments in parentheses. Um, I don't know who that those comments were directed at, but after like the fifth one in like half a page, I was like, "Fuck this!" and closed it. Um, so I understand people have a hard stop, but people just cannot read something that has got grammar, or spelling, or punctuation issues. They aren't going to want to read rough drafts. Um, but there's a funny thing: I don't typically read things that are rife with punctuation and grammar problems either. But I just have a different he- mind headspace about rough trade because I go into it knowing that I'm reading. The thing, and maybe you have to be a writer to understand that, is you know just how fucked up that first rough draft can be. You know. Yeah. I mean, you can think that something came out great, and you go back to read it a week later, and you're like, oh, my God, what the hell was I on? Um, so we know what it's like to to think, you know, to, to finish and think you've done your best, and you look at it later, and you're like, oh, my God, what a mess. <laughs> What a mess. I tried to work. I took a break on a rough trade story, and I tried to go in and just start working on it again because it was still fresh enough in my mind that I should have just been able to pick up and work. I had some sort of, I don't know, comma seizure when I was doing my rough draft. There was 100,000 words there, and my comma usage was so bad, I could not proceed with that story until I went back and fixed it. Um, I had to edit. I had to fucking edit before I could pick up work on my own stuff. And I was like, what the fuck happened to me? Why was I putting in all these bizarre comments? <laughs> um, but we all know what that's like of when you finish something and you put it up and you can't see your mistakes yet. And you don't even know. Like, did you leave? I leave words out. I leave like sometimes whole phrases out and think that they're there and they're not. 
So, again, I have a different mindset because I know what that is. And so I know when I hear a rough draft that it could be anything from an occasional typo to whole missing sentences. So you just think about it differently. But I think for someone who's a pure reader who has a lot of hard limits, they just don't – they can't get past that rough draft thing so they don't want to engage with it. And it's like, okay, you do you. But as long as they don't bitch – you know, as long as there's no bitching. It's when people start to bitch because it's not meeting their specific need perfectly that I get really irritated. And like, if you don't want to read it, don't read it. Actually, why are you even telling me this? Because <laughs> I don't really care. Right. Yeah, let me make a point. Why are we in it? They're not going to read something until it's done. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, if I'm participating in Rough Trade, I usually pick two or three stories to follow. Um, sometimes less. There was one Rough Trade where I had one that I was managing to follow because I just had a lot going on in my life. And there was just, it was either write or read. Um, but yeah, then read after. It's a lot harder to write and keep up with all the stuff that's being posted. I try to avoid reading until I've done my writing for the day. Yeah. There's otherwise I won't do really any hard. writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one rough trade where I had just been really busy and I didn't get much writing done until the evening. And I'm, I tend to be a lot more productive at night. Although I have tried Claire's trick of rolling out of bed and starting writing. And that actually works pretty well. It's like don't myself do anything else until I've written. Um, and that can get me a really good jump on writing for the day. But my habit is to write more at night. But usually I don't go into the night with nothing written. <laughs> nothing. And so I had just sat down to start writing. And I was barely 200 words in when you and Lady Holder both posted. And I was like, <laughs> fo- and okay. I was like following both of those stories like avidly. Like the minute you'd post, I would abandon dinner, whatever. I'm like, I'm gone. I'm going to go read. And you both posted, and I barely started writing. And my my deal was I would not read anything till I had finished writing for the day. And I'm like, this is just, this is harsh, man. I need to get some writing done. But it's like, look at that. There's like these shiny things there, you know. It'd be like Tom Hiddleston's T-shirt in the room, and I I couldn't go check to see how scratchy it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's just terrible. The final charted up copy. I love that. From now on, I'm going to tart my 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 rough draft up. I'm going to tart it up. The the tarted version. <laughs> I can't, so I don't know how to pronounce. Is it is it Rayliel? Is that how you pronounce your name? <laughs> Am I getting that even close to right? I'm just gonna, I'll just call you Re. Ray would be Ray. Ray. I like Ray. Ray? Okay. So Ray said that 
speaking as a non-writer reader, I actually find the whole RT thing absolutely fascinating. It's fun to see some story form as the writer goes through the month and then see how the final tarted up copy version is different later. So cool. <laughs> that is such a cute phrasing. My copy is tarted up. up. The tarted version. I'm going to get Take the lipstick and the corset on this thing and some stilettos and <laughs> get it posted. <laughs> It is a fascinating experience, and I think many many of our writers do it over and over. Um, over and over and over again, because they have to find the experience as intoxicating as I did. So, I mean, why would you sign up for it over and over and over again and do it over and over if it was, like, torturing you? When we love it. That's why we right, do it. Right. As much as and we did have people who participate as often as they can, you know. So, yeah, I mean, some people are very. I mean, I've seen I've seen the range of reactions to "Oh my God, I hated that." To uh, well, if I have an idea, I'll participate. Um, To people who just try to find something to work every time because they want to participate in the challenge, Um, and I've had ideas. And then we have those people who are already plotting their November for next year. (laughs) Yeah. Like, once you announce the challenge, they start working on it. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to get this story I have not in. plotted next year's NaNo. I have plotted for July. <laughs> I only have one worked out for July yet. I'm still I'm still struggling with the other fandom. So, um, I'm working on it, though. So in um, April, we're doing a Take Two, which is a sequel challenge, and I'm still on the fence about where I'm going to do a sequel to. In July, we're doing um, The Real End. We're going to do two short stories where you take a movie or two movies that you like and rewrite the ending to suit yourself. Um, In November, we're doing um, The Divergent Path. Um, Which is going to be a Divergent yeah, and November next November, I everything I write is canon divergence basically. There's very well not everything. There's a couple of things that are so purely AU that there's no 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 resemblance to canon. So there has to be canon to diverge from it. I mean that's like one of the things. Um, but um, yeah, uh, so I most, most of the stuff I write has canon divergence as a, a very very central theme. Um, I probably am going to wait to even try to pick. I'll probably plot 50 projects between now and then. 45 of them will count as canon divergence. So I'll just wait and see what <laughs> I'm most interested in when, like, September rolls around. Because I could be burned out. I mean, th- at this point, I don't know. I could be burned out on a theme. I could be just getting into something new. And as it's canon divergence is probably – uh, it probably is one of my favorite tropes. I just typically don't think of it as being um, a trope, even though I know it is. Well, it's more of, I would think of it more like a, it's like a fan fiction genre, really, than a trope. I really talk about it as a trope, but it it doesn't, I don't think it meets the standard for a trope in my mind. It's really more like a genre. But anyway, it is one of my favorites, so I do it a lot. I'm really looking forward to you know, seeing, 
I would really want to go whole hog in for that kind of theme, though, not just a little canon divergence. It's like find a point, do a major fracture. Of course, he'll get some love. Um, I always, I always make sure Tony gets some love. I always, I always make sure he's treated well. Sometimes I even give him a Steve. You know, I was actually pondering <laughs> doing like a little, a little, like one month doing like a little, a little mini bang kind of thing, a little mini challenge, like the mothership bang. <laughs> not because literally there are some very it's not common but there are some pairing specific bangs and um it wouldn't even have to be called a bang but just you know try to get some more tony steve stories out in the world to raise the, the profile the, the mothership. mothership love fest yes the mothership love okay. um i i'm gonna do um the terminator and aliens for my two uh, for July. Really, really, yeah, that's amazing. Ooh, I'm gonna do Aliens and Terminator. Terminator needs a different ending. Well, so does Aliens, for that matter. Aliens, because yeah. if, if um, Aliens doesn't end badly. It's what happens in Aliens. Three. It's what happened between the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the implication <laughs> it's of what happened. Yeah. Uh, the only one I've picked is Chronicles of Riddick. That's the only one I've picked so far. Um, and I'm just struggling mm-hmm. with a with a second fandom. So. Um, kill. Kill everything, Riddick. Kill everything. So. Yeah. So. What Phoenix? What? You haven't seen the Terminator? How old are you? You're not gonna. Are you? How, how can be I, up? Yeah. Uh, Terminator's not scary. Well, she's talking about it. No, well, she's talking about. I think she means. I think she means aliens. Aliens is scary, and Terminator oh. was not her not her thing. The first alien. It's scary. Alien Aliens, is terrifying. Alien is terrifying. I, but Aliens is just a kick-ass action movie. It is. It's pro- I think it's. I think it's probably one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Um, just because yeah. it is so much. Alien is scarier. Um, it's psychologically scary. You don't it see is. it. The suspe- yeah, the psychological suspense level is off the charts in Aliens. But aliens, you kind of see mo- almost everything coming except for a couple of jolty moments. You know, everything is kind of a little bit more expected the way things are going to go. Not everything, but pretty close. And, but um, aliens is kick ass. It is like the it I agree. Is. It's the best science fiction movie that I. Um, I. I think you may have just unplugged yourself. I, I unplugged myself. I don't think you can hear me. Okay. I unplugged oh, did myself. I, did, did you hear me saying I think you just unplugged yourself? Yeah. No. <laughs> I no. Okay. Myself. So next <laughs> next time I have that next time I think as I said I'm like it's kind of pointless to say that if she unplugged herself maybe I should have put that in the chat room. <laughs> For me, um, Phoenix, I'm appalled. Is- did you read that? I'm appalled too. Now, I really enjoyed Terminator Two. But Terminator One, oh, it just tears my heart out. I just, 
But I yeah, had, I'm gonna rewrite it. I had the I had the biggest crush on Kyle Reese when I was when I saw that movie. I mean, I wanted Me I wanted if I had if I had known about fan fiction back then, I'd have been writing fan fiction where he lived. I mean, yeah, that, was, just, oh, that was like my first. <laughs> I figured that what what the hell is the point of rewriting the ending of that movie if you're not going to save Kyle? But yeah, my choices are the Terminator and Aliens, um, uh, because um, they're both kick-ass ladies and. They both go through a world of shit, and neither one of them get the uh, the happy ending that they deserved. And fuck that. <laughs> so I'm just gonna do and that differently. Fuck that. Fuck that so hard because those are both. Did you do both Michael Bian movies on purpose? Oh. Hmm. No, I guess not. <laughs> I, I, really I guess did, you just really. I did have I guess you really just wanted to live. in when I was little, when I was younger. Oh, yeah. It was him and Avery Brooks. I was all in on both. He, yeah, he was in both. Both of those parts are like two of my favorite roles for him. Um, another one that I really like him in is in The Rock. Um, but you know, saving him in that movie, you wouldn't be rewriting the ending. You'd be rewriting the whole movie because he dies pretty early on. Yeah, I liked him in the Abyss. I I thought that he had a lot of range, and um, he did a, he had a really great role in the Abyss. Of course, he was the bad guy. Um, well, he, he was didn't the bad guy the because bad guy. he was crazy. He became crazy, right? Yeah, and he got pressure. He, he couldn't. Um, yeah, he couldn't control his paranoia. Um, so, but it's a great role. I think he did. I think he did a great job. Um, and I like Navy Seals. Except for the part where Charlie Sheen ruins the whole movie for me. So, but um, I was like, I, when yeah, you, said that, saying, you said except that I'm like Charlie Sheen, except for Charlie Sheen. That, that's. <laughs> Charlie I mean, Sheen he, the he's movie. in them. Yeah, that he just. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, but I, I, remember I was a huge fan of Michael Biehn when I was little, younger. So, um, yeah, um. I actually watched Aliens because he was in it. Um, I had watched the original Alien, and um, I liked the Corny Weaver, but I didn't know if I wanted to see the sequel. And then I found out that Michael B. was in it. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to see the sequel. And I was like, he better live. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't. He did for a while, but you well, open up. I, if you ignore movie three, movie two yeah. ends well-ish. Ish, yeah. I mean, that was that was that was harsh. I I I never looked. I never tried to find out. But my interpretation of that was that he didn't want to do the third movie, um, or maybe they just like my Lee. interpretation was that as the person who came after James Cameron wanted to fuck up James Cameron's happy ending. That could be. So, yeah, in my I, opinion, just, all the movies of alien movies that take place after aliens are nightmares that Ripley is having while she's in stasis. <laughs> I, I, I accept, headcanon accepted, Kira, because it, it just, it was so annoying that you just start the third movie with, like, such a letdown about my favorite movie. It's like, wait a minute, you mean you right? didn't live? What the fuck? And Newt didn't and live either? Kid. They killed her yeah. kid. 
She fought like the devil to keep that kid. She fought off an alien queen in a fucking mechanical suit for that kid. That was her kid. <laughs> she labored for that kid. Then they killed her. Yeah, then they plunked her on a life planet. I was like, the third movie was so... It was like, for me, it was like bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I was like, what are you doing? And now that's I have to do life? I can't deal like with this. It's a nightmare that she's having. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. I, I accept this. I accept this headcanon. And she's just having nightmares. Because <laughs> there's a precedent for that at the beginning of the second movie, is that she wakes up with having really bad nightmares all the time of just that sort, that bad things have happened and the aliens have gotten to And her. she's carrying an alien in her. Which is what happened in the third movie, so. So yeah, they're all they're they're all nightmares. It's it all of it's nightmares. Anyways, <clears throat> if I don't Newt, if I don't come up with a, and Dwayne are still in their pods and she's gonna wake up. And, and, I am so on board with. With uh, Hicks and Newt living that, I can't even tell you. But I don't, I've really, I've been like looking at lots of movie fandoms, like do I want to do that, do I want to do that, do I want to do that, I'm like ugh. And then I figure if I don't come up with anything that just sounds really appealing between now and then, I'll just pick one of the many MCU movies that needs a better ending. <laughs> do something there. Because really, honestly, um, everything after um, the Avengers needs a better ending. Yes. So, I, one of them, not all of them, I'm only allowed to do two, and one of them is going to be Chronicles of Riddick, which means I'm only going to get to do if I if I pick an Avengers movie, I can't. I can only fix one. I they all need a good fixing. One, it has to be the Winter Soldier because if you fix the Winter Soldier, it causes a domino effect. Yeah, Winter Soldier is would be my first choice to fix because uh, it, it, Winter Soldier is where two of the characters became irredeemable for me, pretty much. So, um, oh yeah, I thought about I thought about the Hobbit thing, but I don't know that I could write the Hobbit short. I really don't think that's even remotely possible. So, um, I, I think if you're going it, to fix the Battle of the Five Armies, you have to start. With Bilbo and the Arkenstone. Yeah. You have to make you have to make a different decision there, and you have because if you start after he's given the stones and Thorn almost throws him off the wall, you're not fixing enough. At least in my mind. At least in my mind. Um, I know he's crazy. I know that. I, I know he is. He's he's literally insane at that point. But if you're a Bilbo Thorin chipper, Thorin can't try to kill him. It'd still be a fix it. <laughs> well, but it's not a fix it challenge, right? It's a rewrite no, the ending challenge. It's a rewrite the ending challenge. I actually, if, if I was going to rewrite the, the Battle of the Five Armies, I probably would, um, if, it, if I only had 20K, I would, I, I would let it go all the way to the end. Um, and 
all the Durans would survive and Bilbo would leave and he would figure out what the ring was and then he would head for Mordor with Gandalf. Yeah. But I I considered I considered the the Battle of the Sign of Arby's as a, as a possible, but I just don't see that it, what anything I would want to write would come in twenty or twenty five k. I just don't see it. So I threw that out. I also considered briefly re, rewriting the end of the third Harry Potter movie, but again, <laughs> I just can't do Harry Potter in a in a July challenge. It just will never work. No, no, not for no. me. I, I my, my Harry Potter no. ideas tend to be. 200k or more so but what um, might be a good end to the battle of the five armies instead of Gandalf is that the eagles came they were one of the armies what if Bilbo realizes what the ring he is has and he goes to one of the eagles and says I need your help um, and he leaves after the battle and your whole story, your, um, your whole 25K story is Bilbo and the Eagle going to Mordor. Because it doesn't have to be a pairing. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a ship. Um, you can still save the Durans. Um, you can yeah, say, I would never you know, write. I don't say yeah. Durans. I mean, but it could be, a, it could be a, like a side note. But I, even if I were writing something completely focused on something else, I would... If I were writing Thranduil and, and and Bilbo going to Mordor together for some bizarre reason, um, I would still save the Durans. <laughs> I just I, I could not fix that if I were delving into the Hobbit universe. But you know, so I I mean I considered movies from a lot of the franchises that I like, but I had just threw out some that I just don't see me coming up with an idea that's short. But I think I could come up with a short fix it in the MCU. Um, I could definitely think I could write a short story. The first movie that crossed my mind when you announced the challenge was Chronicles of Riddick. And since it was the first thing that crossed my mind, I thought that was probably a sign. <laughs> fix that shit. I, of course, Riddick's going to be a fix it. I mean, because she was with him. She was with him. Because she was with him, that means she gets to live and yes, fuck all she will that. Live. She will live. And if, and if you don't understand that because you haven't seen the Chronicles of Riddick, shame on you. If you haven't seen the Chronicles of Riddick, you really should. If you're not into scary movies, Pitch Black is scary. I will. I will totally. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Pitch Black gets very towards the end. Pitch Black is terrifying to me. Um, yeah, it's oh, what you can't see slow, is worse than what you. Yeah, it has a slow build to utterly terrifying. Um, but the Chronicles of Riddick isn't scary. It's just kind of an, a sci-fi action movie. Um, it's kick-ass too. Um, yeah, it's really if good. If Thorin tries to murder Bilbo, even in his madness, I, I find them having a relationship impossible. I've, How could you I've ever read a couple of I've read a couple of stories where they kind of worked it out in a way that I was able to. But my suspense and just belief, well, I can read stuff that I can't write. I would never put them in a right. relationship personally that where that event occurred. Because I just, even if you know the person wasn't really responsible for their actions, you still had a tra- traumatic thing inflicted upon you 
by the person in front of you, regardless of whether they were responsible for their actions or not. Um, so it just, it's a very difficult thing to overcome. Um, I read one story where uh, – I may be remembering this wrong, but that Thorin renounced his throne and moved to the Shire uh, to ensure that he would never suffer from gold sickness again so that Bilbo could mm-hmm. know that he was um, safe. And that degree of work on the writer's part kind of is when that makes that plausible, is that Thorin's heavily invested in making sure Bilbo knows that that's not going to happen again. So... But, I, I mean, that's, Thorne renouncing his throne is not a trope that most writers <laughs> want to dig into. I, I would rather just have it not occur than... He worked so hard to than, get it. <laughs> yeah, they all have worked him so hard. You know, even Bilbo worked his ass off for that. It, it doesn't seem fair. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find Thorne's death so horrific, is that he is that he did... He, he went so far and, and worked so hard. And... um. And really, he lost it all because of insanity. Um, and even though he was in his right mind when he died, um, he wouldn't have been where he was. I I don't think the outcome of the battle would have been the same if he hadn't fallen to gold sickness. I agree. If he um, If he had been sane and had a little bit more time to... Plan and prepare, and and with thinking clearly, I think that that would have gone really differently. A lot better. But I would, you know, honestly, if, if I only had twenty five k to rewrite the battle of the five armies ending, I would probably have the Durans live. Um, and like I said, I would use an eagle to take Bilbo to um, Mordor to get rid of the ring. And then maybe I would end it in the Shire with um, with Thorin coming to atone for what he has done, um, standing there on Bilbo's doorstep. And Bilbo having to wedge, I saw that in, you know. Say no, Bilbo. Say no. No, I'm kidding. Say yes, Bilbo. <laughs> that's that's her OTP. Um, I think I would prevent that Arkenstone thing, but I would stop the story before the battle, some or, or circumvent the battle entirely. So, currently in small magic, they're um, they're engaging in guerrilla warfare, which in their case is riding around on brooms and dropping magical bombs on um, the Pale Orcs army. Um, and so, uh, by the time that the pale orc gets there, he's not going to have much left to have a fight with. <laughs> but the real climax of small magic will be, will be between, um, Sauron and, um, and Harry Potter. So, um, which makes complete sense since he's the cause of all of the shenanigans. Um, I love small magic too. Um, and, um, I'm looking for, I'm both looking, the battle and not, uh, and I've written. So, I've got something plotted, very emotional, um, and um, I did a bit of foreshadowing about what happens to Saruman early on in the um, 
in the story. So it'll be interesting to see, like, who remembers that line um, when they read it. Like, oh, yeah, he said he would do that. <laughs> Your, what, what, you, the, what you had Saruman do, what he did to the Durans and the curse, he, and, and his reasons for that and what he was doing in the East, has become mm-hmm. my headcanon. Like, it makes so much it just makes sense. It makes so much sense, he, right? That yeah. He was, yeah, that he was behind um, what happened, that he was behind the destabilization. I don't know that I could write a Hobbit story in this at this point and not have those elements in there, that he is somehow responsible for what happened in Erebor, because you need to destabilize the East, and Erebor is the key to that. So I don't know that I could not have that. I'd be, like, attributing this. Is, this is, and I'm he was totally so vehemently against Gandalf's campaign to reclaim the mountain. Why? Yeah. He was already well, I, turned, but I, then he'd already looked for the ring by that point, too. So that's canon. He I, actually had, um, what's his name, the the brown one, the brown. Um, Radagast. The brown, Radagast, the brown, looking for the one ring. He, that's canon. I mean, yeah, when I, read, when I read Small Magic the first time and read all that stuff, I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. I don't know that I could... I, I, was just, I don't know that I could write a story where that wasn't my world building borrowed from you because it it completely ties all of everything together. I'd be like, in my author notes, I blame Kara totally for the world building. Because I, I mean, <laughs> it is credit. It is so it is so entrenched in my head that when I read stories, I just assume that that's what's going on. <laughs> One of my betas um, came back from reading my Quantum Bang with a great compliment. Um, They said that I had uh, changed how they felt about the characters. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. That's that's when you know you've accomplished something. When when you have changed how people feel about a character that they might even dislike at this point, or um, you give somebody um, a piece of background that becomes their head canon, that's when you know you've accomplished something as a writer. So yeah, and I'm not my view on that. My quantum bank. It is definitely going to be up there. <laughs> it's finished. Yeah. It's written. I mean, I. You, t- you definitely changed my feelings about especially one of the characters, but arguably two. But one of them that I actively disliked and avoided, um, yeah, I feel very differently about now. So, um, well, thank you, Phoenix. It's, um, it's, it's, it's very validating. So, Well, you feel like you've done... Um, I don't know. It, it feels like I've gotten it right when it when like I've really slipped it in there, um, and made sense of something. When it people go, okay, yeah, that that's that makes perfect sense. Um, like when people tell me that in their story, I told once I said, I didn't, I can't write it, but. You know, in my story, you know, Tony's a lost shepherd. I, that just cracks me up. Because, <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Even when he's not, he is. 
except in those stories where he's banging John, because I don't read those because it freaks me out. Um, I, I can't. I, no I can't. I hope no. I can't either. It, my head cannon got so set that now, if I had read one of those stories before I wrote them as brothers, I might have been able to, you know, not get my head cannon so entrenched, but I didn't, and that's a problem. <laughs> so even when an author I really like writes that pairing, I'm like, oh no, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't read incest. Like, it's not incest. Yeah, it is. To me, it is. At the very least, in in, in my mind, they're cousins, at the very least. Brothers, cousins, Mm -hmm. they're related. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. John Shepard, get your hands off your brother. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Having a my show for a moment. Oh, we've been very bad. Love that movie! Oh my god, I fucking love yeah. that movie. Yeah, and we all think Matthew is 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 canon, don't we? Don't we all think Matthew is canon? <laughs> yeah, of course we do. That there are that, that John has two brothers so back home. It's only so but I have to point it out to somebody that actually that um, you're never going to see Matt on the show. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, but even when I read a story, even when even even when. There's no none of none of John's families appear. I still assume Matthew's back on Earth because, of course, he's a canon character. Of course, he is. I mean, head canon can be very powerful. It can override canon to a huge degree. You can absolutely use Matt, Ellie. Feel free. Just be very careful with Matt Shepard um, because um, he. Um, I did not name him for the real Matt Shepard. Um, that was a connection I made after the fact. I would not have named my character Matthew if I had remembered, if I had made the connection between him and Matt Shepard, the real one. Um, so if you use Matt Shepard in a story, my fictional character, please be very careful with him and, and don't um, um, make him victim of um, violence. Or, or rape, or a bashing. Um, just don't. Don't bash um, his character. That is... Because I, don't, because I, don't I, I have elementally connected my word baby Matt with the real Matt, and I would be livid. <laughs> I, and just don't make Matt an asshole. I mean, whatever kind of asshole, just don't do it. I mean, if, if, you, if you need a character who's a dick, who's related to John... Make up an OC. Don't borrow Kira's. But she's really generous about letting people use Matt uh, as long as they treat him well. And treating him well does not mean turning him into an asshole. So, oh, it, it, it's, it's really just because of the real Matt Shepard. Um, yeah. Uh, but honestly, I would never uh, borrow another fan fiction writer's OC just to treat them badly. Yeah. In, in canon, Dave Shepard is kind of a jackass. So, you know. Yeah, he is. I mean, there. But John's a jackass too in terms of their family dynamic. Right. So, so it sort of is all yeah. fair, all fair, and all fair in treating each other shitty. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't even try Ellie. I wouldn't even try writing an SGA story without Matt. I can't do it, even if he doesn't have to play a <laughs> prominent role. I'm talking. This is a powerful headcanon. So 
yeah, but you know, just like I said, just just don't be mean to him um, because the connection in my brain between him and the real Matt Shepard, um, he be, he becomes something of a um, what's the word? Unicorn. What's the word? Oh, he's maybe. Rep- so he's, are you th- representative? Representative. Yeah, I'm saying he's representative. Um, and just just don't. <laughs> because Matt Shepard died so terribly, and his reason and, and the anniversary of his murder was recently. Um, Very recently, recently, yeah. He died so terribly, and um, his life was cut so short for no reason beyond hatred, and that is the obscenity of it is is overwhelming. So, just yeah. um, be careful with my accidentally named character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just I can't yeah. imagine there, writing that and not spelled, having him be awesome. Um, Shepard isn't spelled the same way, so but um but I would not have named him um Matt if I had made the connection in my head. Uh but now it's a done deal, so and his yeah. full name is Patrick Matthew, by the way. So in case you're well, curious. You, you know, you I don't know that I would have wound up with Alex if you hadn't done Alex's name being Alex if you hadn't done Matt. And here's I'll tell you here's how profound my headcanon was. When I was trying to decide what Tony's birth name was, I said, Well, based upon the families, the parents, the way they named their children, it would have been a fairly David, John common, and Matthew. It would have been a fairly common name. Um, that has a long form and a reasonable diminutive. So John, Jonathan, Matt, Matthew, Dave, David. Um, even Patrick is a, re- you know, Pat is a reasonable diminutive of Patrick. And so I thought it had to be a name like that, relatively common, that has a diminutive that is not goofy. Um, like I think like Dick being the diminutive of Richard makes means no character I write main character I write would ever be named Richard. Um, just saying, okay. But, like, Tom is a reasonable diminutive of Thomas. But some names don't, like, Joey as a diminutive of Joseph is not, what is, wouldn't be in the same vibe. And that's how I come up with Alex Alexander because I felt like it fit the vibe of, and this is my, this is my thought process, it fits the vibe of Pat Patrick, John Jonathan, Dave David, Matt Matthew, Alex Alexander. And I went, and it was. I was way down my plot process before I realized that Matt is not canon. Oh shit! <laughs> well, who is I not a big sample size? I named Matthew Matthew because um, John and David are biblical names, and I thought to myself, "Well, okay, Matthew, John, David, and Matthew." <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it's just it's biblical. <laughs> Coming from an atheist, yes. <laughs> well, but you know, it, you being an atheist has nothing to do with whether or not your characters are atheists. I would never have named. I like the name Gabriel, but I cannot attach that to Tony. At no. All. Alex works for me. Yeah. 
it worked for me too. I mean, I tried on a few names that I thought would work, but then I was like, um, I like that. Well, the problem here's the, the bigger the, the what became a problem was because Alex kind of got stuck in my head. I'm like, it's going to be Alex. Um, is I think I have three OCs named Alex. <laughs> it is my it is my favorite man's name. So I have a I tendency to just slap it on characters willy nilly. Um, if I ever do a major edit on some of my stories, I would change the name of a couple of my OCs to not be Alex. Because there's a lot of Alexes <laughs> in my stories. But did you ever read the story? I think you Gabriel. Did you ever read the story where um, G. Callen and Tony are brothers? They don't know it, but they're both on a hunt. They both find out around the same time that they have a sibling, and they're on the hunt for their brother. Did you ever read that story? Yeah. They finally meet at but the I end. But I want to. I want to read I'll it. To find, it's, I'll find it. It's really good. It's really good. Tony Willow, knows are you in the chat? <laughs> Willow, I, Thick Ninja. I'm terrible at finding Thick. So, Willow, if you happen to remember what this story so is. So, his name was Gabriel? Yes. And he finds out, like, mm-hmm. in the very, at the very end, because Tony knows it. Tony knows what his real name is. So and how so are brothers? Same mother, same um, father? Same mother, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, same mother. Um, Tony's given a choice by his father. You know, you give up trying to find your brother and you can have this kind of thing. And Tony's like, fuck you. I want my brother. So that's when he goes out to try to figure out. Because... G's birth was, I think it was all covered up and they paid to have him basically erased or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly what the setup was, but um, there, G's working on trying to find his, what's going on with his life and Tony's trying to find his brother. And eventually they wind up in the same space and figure out that's who they're looking for. So... That might be it. Yes. That's it. Called In the Name by Any Gray, and it's on fanfiction.net. Marking that for later. Thank you, Claire. I don't. I mean, I I don't have a fanfiction.net account anymore, so um, <laughs> that's why I just. I, I still. You know, the, I still have one. I don't ever log into it, and when I do, there's always some snotty ass message for me. So. Uh, you can't technically get rid of a here. fanfiction.net account, but um, yeah, I it, I had a weird thing, so I actually literally don't have one anymore. Um. So I don't have. Did you any get kind of thrown off fanfiction.net? No scandal. <laughs> when I first went over to fanfiction.net, I don't remember what the technical glitch I was having was. Something was going on. This was a long time ago, um, and I wound up sharing an account with somebody for a while because I was having some glitch trying to create an account, and we just never really changed that setup, right? Because I mean, I didn't post on fanfiction.net, neither did she. Um, 
and you know, she just gave me her login credentials, and we both just read. And I wasn't really in the habit of favoriting or commenting really on a lot of stories. Um, so it just had never really become an issue. And then when I said, you know, when I said, no, I don't think that the sharing of the account thing is, is a good idea anymore, um, she changed the password, which is fine. She should. It's her account. But, um, yeah, I never created another one. So I thought about posting on fanfiction.net, but or if I did create another one, I never wrote down the login information, and I don't know what it is. Because I was never very – if I could find it somewhere else, I would choose not to read on fanfiction.net. So. Fanfiction.net re- remains basically the source for Harry Potter fic. Uh, it's a lot more yeah, Harry Potter well, fic than any other – Uh, Well, there's four times as much NCIS, well, at least three times as much, but there used to be four times as much NCIS fic on fanfiction.net as there is on AO3. It's just, I only go there if somebody says, this is a really good story, this is the only place it is. I'm like, all right, fine. (laughs) (laughs) I I deep dive into fanfiction.net and stay there for days. Yeah, it's like you've got a search, right? Like you, you and you're progressing through the pages on your search and there's like 600 pages of results and you're on page 104 and you know your eyes are bloodshot and <laughs> you're living on caffeine and resenting bathroom breaks. That's terrible. <laughs> Been there done and that. You, yeah. You know, you don't even open a lot of them because it's like, no, that's not for me. And then you nope out of a bunch because you're like, whoa, no. <laughs> and then in that, in that, uh, you know, like 2,000 fix that you went through to get that far, you've probably read five. <laughs> right? <laughs> and you've half read two, and you've noped out of 300. <laughs> exactly. You hit a hard. What's harsh is when you're really far into a a story when you hit a hard stop, and you're like, no, no. By the way, I have just stopped reading author notes. I've just given it up because there are a couple authors where I was like, I'm really enjoying this story, but their author notes are ruining it for me. Because <laughs> you have to hate them. Yeah, especially oh, the authors who spoil their next chapter to hell and gone. It's like, okay, well, in the next chapter, you know, Styles is going to become a werewolf. That actually is not an example, but that level of spoiler, it's like, really? In the... All right, fine. Fuck you and your author notes. So, and sometimes I do it in the chapter summaries. It's just like, oh, I try to skip them as much as possible. If there's critical information buried in there, then I've hit a hard stop, and I'm going to nope out of the story. It's just I can't deal. Oh, I so we've got mention, about what an hour and a half left to sign up for Quantum Bang. Yeah, well, ish, ish, because ish. Uh, I need to go. I have to go um, change the sign up page to not allow author sign ups anymore. And you know when exactly it closes depends upon how invested I am in getting that done. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, yeah, sometime tonight, sometime tonight it's closing, but it may not close right on the dot at midnight. But don't just, just if you want to sign up, don't be the person who signs up at twelve ten. It will just annoy me. 
But I probably will still let you in. We'll give you a really it's, it's terrible username as punishment. It's the, it's the 31st somewhere. Um, the laziest ass sure. writer to sign up for Quantum Bang it will, will be your login name. <laughs> well, if if by the time it's the thir- if as long as it's still the 31st in Hawaii, I'll just pretend like you live in Hawaii and you're not super late. But once it's once it's November first in Hawaii, you're just SOL. But speaking of the quantum bang, um, I've had a question come up a few times of quantum bang in relation to our challenge for next November. Not because you can use a rough trade challenge, but basically the difference between canon divergence and a fix it. Um, okay. And so because because it's come up multiple times, I just wanted to kind of address this. All fix-it should be canon divergent. All fan fiction should in some way be canon divergent, but I think people won't write it that way. But definitely every fix-it should be canon divergent, but not all canon divergent stories are fix-it fix. So. Um, you can diverge the hell out of canon and not fix anything. Right. But you can't fix anything without diverging from canon. So... <laughs> Implicitly, all fix-it fix are canon divergent, but not all canon divergences are fix-it. So, um, also, another thing that has come up um, at least five times now is I made a – it says in the thing that you can't fix um, a problem – that a fix-it doesn't count if it's a problem of your own making. Um, And I need to clarify this on the site, but as well – but what I mean by that is you can't create a problem and then the only thing you fix is that problem. But you can use a problem you create as the device by which you fix something else. So a problem of your own making can, is a form of canon divergence. And then you can use that as your device to fix something. For instance, it is not canon that the entire town of Beacon Hills gets sucked into a hell mouth. But you could use that as the as a as a, a non-canon event that is the impetus for Derek to time travel into the past and not only prevent that, which is the problem of your own making, but save his whole family, which would fix canon. So, yeah, I'll try to explain that a little bit better. But if anybody and teach confused, Uncle Peter some problem-solving skills that don't involve biting Scott. Of all fucking yes. people. <laughs> Look, you can go crazy if you want to, but don't fucking bite Scott McCall. <laughs> it was a bad choice. You should have bit Styles, unfortunately. Um, Styles would have made a much more interesting um, Teen Wolf. Agri- yeah. Or yeah, honestly, you better. know what? I'm not sure if it's actually the the, the character or the actor. Because if Dylan had been cast as Scott McCall, it um, it would have been better. But um, it would have been better. But they also would have had to change some stuff with with Scott's character. He's so self righteous that if they had just had Dylan being self righteous like that, it would have still been annoying as fuck. It doesn't help yeah. the actor who plays Scott. Has a really is an asshole, fandom and he's he's kind of a douche. So, um, 
yeah, he totally bashes on fandom and treats his fans like shit. And um, I mean, it's weird. I don't. I'm not, I actually have come to the, the conclusion that he must not be a very good actor because the level of self righteous bullshit he spouts, you know, in his real life sounds a lot like the character. But what's really so, interesting is that you see all these actresses and actors coming out of Teen Wolf, and um, it's it's really pretty pretty funny that the two um, characters that were not the main character have careers after Teen Wolf, and he yeah. doesn't. Well, he really alienated his fan base, and MTV as a network has been a lot about pandering to the fan base. Not, I mean, they pandered to them for a long time. They kind of teased them and draw them along and, and until they eventually say no, but he, he really went about alienating his, his fan base. So, um, like that whole thing when people were really upset about how, um, you know, that they decided to stop putting Derek and styles and scenes together because they wanted to put a halt to this whole Derek thing, even though they had been encouraging that, in panels and stuff up to that point. And he went online and made a comment about how if you're watching Teen Wolf for um, Derek and Styles, you're watching it for the wrong reasons. Then we'll just stop watching like, it. Oh, wait. I was like, you're right. Really, are you telling – are you, like, little entitled, privileged Hollywood actor dude really telling people – that they have to have the right reason before they can watch a TV show? Really? Do you get to make that decision for the rest of us? So that's kind of a, a twit. Yeah, so that's kind of, he's kind of a self-righteous little twit, and it's weird how much that's like the character. So that's when I started thinking, well, he must not be a very good actor because he's apparently just playing himself. Um, but I think it would be very interesting if... Um, Styles were bitten instead of instead of Scott. How that would things would play out differently, um, and if that exists, I, don't, I haven't read that story. But if it exists, please do not send it to me because I'm actually sort of entertaining the idea of writing that story, and I do not want to corrupt myself with those kinds of shenanigans. Unless it's really, 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 really good, like the best thing you've ever read, and then I, I might it might satisfy me enough to not feel like I need to write it. Because <laughs> sometimes that happens. Is you run across a story that is everything you want, and you don't. It's like your desire to write that trope is like, oh, I'm so satisfied now. I'm just gonna hug this story a little bit and then go try to find something else to read that has no chance of being this good. <laughs> Geez, Phoenix, did you receive that, what she just said? That she's on her fourth read what? of Soulmate Bond this year? Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Wow. that That's a lot of fic to read four times in one year. Not to read four times total, but to read four times in one year. That's a lot of, that's a big story. Yeah, that's story. a lot of fic. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Although, you know, when somebody tells me that they've read Ties at Vine four times in a year, I don't even blink about it because I just... <laughs> well, yeah. I'm just mentally going, yeah, yeah. You're just you're just reading the porn. Well, there's a lot of porn in the, the, the Soulmate Bond, too. Actually. There is. 
you do get very dirty um, in places in that. I wonder why. I can't imagine. You know, there are people who write me about emergence, um, and they, like, really want to know where things are going. And I find that they haven't read the stuff on Evil Author Day, and I'm like, you know, I read the stuff on Evil Author Day, and then we can talk. Go read this, this, and this, and let me know if you have any questions. I need to make a note to my... So are you all set? Are you all set? I mean, Nano for you starts in in uh in 22 minutes. 20 are minutes. you like got your documents ready? Are you? I got are you, my documents are you ready? ready. I've got uh cha- I've got chapter headings ready. I've I've made art for all ten chapters that I have plotted. Um, is that is that what you meant? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. I get, like I, I've got like I've got like 40 tabs open and um. I'm still struggling with the timeline. I can't decide what I want to do about it. So, I, I have a timeline issue. I do. I do have a timeline issue that I'm kind of noodling, but I'm pretty close to a um, solution. So, yeah, I put. I started working on the timeline like when I first started working on the story. When I plotted it back when I had this idea way earlier in the year, um, and I didn't even know I'd be using it for this challenge. But the timeline was really irritating me because trying to work out what's going on in Marvel's timeline is is no small feat. And um, I put it off because I was like, um, I'll deal with it later. <laughs> but I can't, I literally can't start until I, I understand where I'm sit- situating things in canon. Um, because it makes a difference if it's right after the Avengers or right. It can't be literally right after. But it makes a difference if it's, if it's after Iron Man 3 or before it. Uh, yeah, it does. a big difference. Yeah. Um, and since that makes a difference practically from the jump, I have to make that decision. And I am just, the timeline is killing me. Well, I'm kind of stuck because I need Midway Station because that, that's where the meeting is going to take place. Um and I need um, some events to happen, but I don't want uh, I don't want some things to happen. So um, I'm finagling, but um, uh, I have my opening scene already in my head, and um, I'll, you know I have all my plot points. And so I just need to do a little bit of time timelining, and I'll, I'll be set. So. I envy you for being honest. But I do that. have my. I, <laughs> I do have my ten chapter um, art things. I did um, chapter headings for, and I have ten chapters planned. So, planned. I had I had planned to do some chapter art, but it just didn't work out. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just put off those last minute details too long. And so I sat down to work on it today, and I, I just, I'm like, okay, I want to be set. I want to be set so that when midnight rolls around, I can at least get out a couple thousand words tonight and then finish it up in the morning. Although sometimes I knock out the whole thing the first night. It depends upon how much dialogue there is. If there's a lot of dialogue, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be done tonight. <laughs> it's not. I'll be noodling on a 
you know, action sequence for like 12 hours. Um, well, I plan to post in chapters, in complete chapters, so I will probably will not post the first day. So. Oh, you go, Claire. Claire, about it. Claire couldn't sleep because she was thinking about her nano, so she got up and started writing. Um, but I, I am... Um, I when I have to write action sequences, I do what I call micro editing, um, and it really slows me down. It's terrible. It's it's where I constantly am tweaking what I'm writing. Like I'll write a sentence and go back and tweak the one before that, or move a line up for paragraphs. Or I'm constantly micro editing as I'm writing because I, I I don't feel like I do it all that well. I think okay, I would say I think that the end end result comes out well, but it's laborious. It's a lot of work for me to get an action sequence to come out well. And so the, the you know, I could write 5,000 words of dialogue in the time it takes me to write 1,000 words, actually 500 words of a good action sequence. Because of all of that micro-editing, where I just am second-guessing how everything is coming across, and is that too much detail or not enough detail, and you know, do I need to explain this? Or, you know, should I leave that out? And, I think the freedom of a rough draft is that you can leave those questions unanswered. Yeah, I just have not been very good about embracing that and leaving it that way. Because, like, the slowest writing I did all summer was the very first scene in Stick Around. Um, it took me longer than anything, any any chapter, any any it, that opening scene with the battle of the the battle for New York from Tony's point of view, or from mm-hmm. Dom's point of view, that took me so long <laughs> compared to anything else I wrote. Um, I think it came out well, but trying to keep things comprehensible while keeping the focus narrow, it was just really difficult. So. I, it's something I need to work on. It's, it's something that I know I need to work on. Like, I go to these challenges, and I know these are things that I don't do as well as I wish I did. And I know that I need to work on letting my rough draft be rougher. That is something, and that's that's part of struggling with my own perfectionism, right, is to just let it be. So mm-hmm. it could be that one of these days you guys are going to get a really shitty action sequence, and it will be... A, a uh, that will be an improvement for me. It will. It will be a big milestone. It'll. It'll be me overcoming my perfectionism. So, I think that my biggest stumbling block with rough trade was gonna be weird. Okay, so there's this. Um, I hate to watch other people read my work. I loathe it. It makes me so uncomfortable. The only thing that makes me more uncomfortable is having somebody read my work out loud in front of me. It's so deeply embarrassing that I can't articulate how horrifying it is. It is... I I don't even know... So, for me, to post a rough draft that first time was a special kind of agony because it's not only, okay, these people are going to be reading my work, which, you know, honestly, it can be very difficult for me. Um, but also, 
they be reading my rough work? What if they read it out loud in their room and I won't even be able to hear it, but I'll still be horrified? <laughs> now, I have some podcasts in my work that I enjoy listening to. Because it isn't the same thing. I feel like an audio book. And I have some audio books. And I'm like, no, that, that's fine. But this is something that... Like, for instance, I had someone read my work out loud in front of me once. Um, and they were so condescending about it that I actually was ashamed of what I wrote. Oh, and this damn. was something that was published. This was something that was published by a professional publisher in New York. And I, it had been in a national magazine. It had been excerpted. Um, and, um, I, I was so ashamed and hurt. And so for me, publishing on Rough Trade, that was my stumbling block, letting go. Even publishing online and publishing in general, um, I had to let go of my work first. And it was difficult um, to get there because once you let go of your work, you can't control who's, who, who has it and who, and who touches it and who buys it and who reads it and who downloads it. And it, um, that, that's a big stumbling block for a lot of people. But for me, Rough Trade was easy compared to what I had gone through in the past, but I still cannot stand to see somebody, to be in the physical presence of somebody while they're reading my work. I can't do it. But I'm also that person who will get up and leave the room if something embarrassing happens on TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hide when the secondhand embarrassment comes. I'm like, no, I can't deal. I can't. I can't. I hate going to the movies, and I can't leave if, if, if something embarrassing is happening. You know, I have to tune it out. I, 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 like it's not there. You know, it's... <clears throat> I have um, I have friends who um, have read my work while I sit in the room, and it's it is difficult. It it it's like it's like I don't want to know, but I do want to know. It's like what did that eyebrow twitch mean? Or they laugh, and you're like, are they laugh? Is that a good laugh because they found something funny? There's something funny in this story. And <laughs> am I did I did I right? up and they're laughing at me? And it, I guess there's this whole neurotic thing going on. Um, and actually, it was somebody reading my work in front of me was the first time I realized that people found things funny that I didn't. I mean, I know that rationally. I know that logically, that there are people have different senses of humor, right? There are things that I don't find funny that other people do. But the first time somebody laughed at something I had written because they were amused by it, and I was sitting there thinking, there's nothing in this story that's funny. <laughs> so... Um, and I wanted to ask, but I also didn't. I was like, I don't really want to know. But I do, but I don't, but I do. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's just terrible. Well, there's a writing group that's local, and one of the things that they do is when they meet, they read out something that they've, they they read their work out to the other members um, to get feedback. And they invited me to, to, to join their group, and no. I mean, it was like it was like out of my mouth before she even finished the, the question, and she was like, "Really?" And she was kind of hurt, and I was like, "It's it's not personal, but I can't read my work out loud." I, I've actually turned down professional engagements where and, and and signings where they ask me to read. It's it it it's never happening, ever, <laughs> ever. 
I couldn't even do an audiobook version of my own book. I wouldn't want to, though, because I have this little girl voice, and I, <laughs> I just don't. That's just not a good idea. Because <laughs> I had my agent ask me once, did, you, did, did I want to do an audiobook version of something, and did I want to read it? And I said, you talk to me on the phone, right? <laughs> We have had phone conversations. Are you sure that I should be? I said, she said, well, wait, call me. And because she has a whole bunch of clients. So I can understand that she wouldn't remember what my voice sounds like. Right. And so I get off the chat with her and um, I call her and I'm like, hey, and she went, oh, my God, you're the one that sounds like you're a little kid. I was like, exactly. She says, no, you can't ever do an erotic ebook, audio book. No. Like, right. No. Right. That's, that's fulfilling the wrong sort of fantasy. <laughs> I said, you don't want me saying cock on audio. She says, I don't want you saying on the phone call. <laughs> Stop saying that to me. I would never want to read my work out loud for other people. I read it out loud for myself, but that's part of my, my writing process. It's like validating that this dialogue isn't stupid. But <laughs> no, um, I would not read it for other people. It's one thing to read a paragraph here or there, um, like if I'm trying to, you know, quote something that I wrote, but just to just like sit down and read, no, I couldn't do it. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I, mean, I can I can read to myself, and um, I I use my audio feature on my phone to, to take notes sometimes if I'm out, which can make shopping trips in, in, in the grocery store really interesting. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Like, what is she doing over there? I think it would be hysterical if you were planning a ritual, a sacrificial ritual, and you're giving your notes um, to your phone while you're standing in line in the grocery store. (laughs) That would be funny as fuck. (laughs) And on the north point of the circle, at the cardinal point, at the cardinal points, we'll have sacrifices to... The various goddesses of death. And people are sitting there going, what is she doing? I'll just wait over here to this other line. I don't need to check out in the quick checkout today. Note to self, look up uh, gods of death in various religions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It is it is weird to hear yourself recorded because we really don't hear ourselves the way we actually sound. So the first few times I heard myself recorded, which happened to me the first few times was actually uh, I was in my would have been in my twenties because I was having to do trainings and they would record them and play them, you know. <laughs> People would watch them later you know, when they needed to take that training. <laughs> and the first time I watched one, I was going, oh, my God. I need A, really? tone down the <laughs> I was like, uh, is that what I sound like? And B, <laughs> stop talking with your hands so much. I looked like I was, like, trying to create air currents in the room using just my hands. <laughs> like, wow, I gesture a lot. I 
I do sound like a child, and um, I know this. My, myself, my, so I my bar, to, my bar is, uh, Santa sounds like a child. You sound like a teenager. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're you're older. I mean, Santa set my bar for for an adult who sounds young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of. She does sound incredibly young. Yeah, it's it's kind of unnerving and how young she such, sounds. She's got so. such a foul mouth, you know. <laughs> so. It's so, um, I'm sure she gets people telling her not to swear young lady all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. I got told (laughs) not to swear in the grocery store. Actually, what he said was, watch your dirty mouth. I said, go fuck yourself. No one tells me that. Ever. I've never had, well, I mean, I've had, I've had some old ladies lecture me about stuff, but not usually about my foul mouth. Um, I think part of it is because I'm very tall and very strong, and you know I got a little extra padding, so I can be an imposing figure. And um, I have the resting bitch face from hell. And when I'm on un- my unimpressed face, has literally made people start crying. I'm not kidding. My boyfriend, <laughs> my, boyfriend my brother, my brother's girlfriend used to start crying when I looked unimpressed. I gave her this look and she burst into tears. It was. I'm like she. she That's can't hilarious. She, There's nothing she, resting about her face. That, that's it's, it's pretty active. It's pretty active bitch face. But her bitch face um, will rest when her work is done. I got I got mad one day, like not screaming, yelling because I don't scream and yell at people. I just get that I get very cold and my voice drops down and I just it's very kind of. You are a fucking moron. What is the matter with you? Kind of thing. And I came out and let them have it about something. She was hysterical for at least half an hour. <laughs> and she literally, she literally said, well, my mother's trying to calm her down. She goes, I thought she was going to kill me. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. What is the matter with her? such a fucking pansy. Oh, my God. Everybody say hello like, to the New York pansies. <laughs> So my mother told me, she, would you just stay in your room until she calms down? Because you being out here is not helping. <laughs> <laughs> and I was 19 or 20 at the time. I'm much worse now. Wow. <laughs> I have perfected being pissed off at this point in my life. So um, when people give me shit, I just turn, turn to them. I, you know, raise one eyebrow and they just shut the fuck up. <laughs> As they should. Just shut the fuck up. Now, people will argue with me if they're in a car and can get away. But in person, people tend to really... <laughs> people, people back down from me. But I have had people, like, roll down their window and, like, try to start shit. But it's probably because they can get away. <laughs> they were not in their car. I've never had anybody really start shit with me when they were, like, standing in front of me. Like, two and a half minutes to I, Nano for you. I'm kind of jealous. Julie's nickname is now the Brute Squad. Um, Julie's nickname is the Brute Squad. Well, I'll have to use my fandom name, but at work, we I worked in this team once. Where um, I was the only woman on the team, actually. And we did this thing. I don't know. We got a little punch drunk after work one day. And everybody came up with a mob name, right? 
you, you didn't come up with your own name. It was assigned to you. Um, so it sounds better with my real last name. But my mob name was Muscles. So it was like Muscles James. <laughs> and I was, they decided I was, the, I was the group enforcer, which was hysterical because they put me in the role of the most intimidating person on the team, and I was the only woman. <laughs> yeah, so Muscles is my mob name. As given to me by my coworkers. Why my coworkers? I'm sure you more than earned it. Oh, I did. (laughs) We're down to a minute and nine seconds. Um, You guys, work hard on your nanos. Remember that your word count for the day is your goal. Don't think about your word count for the month. It will add up if you just... Stay with the day. Stay with the day. That will keep your stress down. Uh, Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.